Would you take your Bibles now? Let's turn together to the New Testament book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I want to begin reading at verses 1 through 7. Now, we read these verses last week. Okay? We were only able to get through verses 1 and 2. And I'll explain why in just a moment. It'll be obvious, but... Um, we're going, to, we're going to read these verses again, and then we're going to pick up where we left off. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, Paul writes to Timothy, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil." Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. This is God's word. Before we pray, I uh, received this little booklet about a month ago. It's uh, from Open Doors Ministry. It's entitled World Watch List 2018, the 50 countries where it's most dangerous to follow Jesus. Want to guess who's number one on the list? North Korea. We hear a lot about North Korea in the news right now. And so as we pray today for the, for the gratefulness of God's word and to open it together, uh, I'd like to invite you to pray for the brothers and sisters in Christ who are in North Korea. They are not only facing persecution, uh, they are facing uh, a society, a government, a communist government that seeks to eliminate them. It's not just make things hard for them, but to eliminate them. That's why it's number one on the list. And so as we pray, pray for strength and courage on behalf of those believers. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we are about to expound upon your wonderful word as we have the privilege of opening it together and studying it together and letting it feed our souls, we're mindful that there are brothers and sisters in Christ in parts of the world, in particular North Korea, where they do not have the freedom that we have. There are those in a communist dictatorship that seek to eradicate, to eliminate any trace of the Christian gospel. And so today we want to pray for strength and courage for all Christians in North Korea, especially those who are in prisons, for those in labor camps, and for those in remote areas. And as a result of renewed strength, as a result of renewed courage, we pray that this would result in the continued spread of the gospel, that many other men and women, boys and girls, might come to believe upon Jesus Christ. And now for us today, may great shepherd of the sheep, may you by your spirit feed us today and give us instruction that leads to transformation for the glory of Christ. In his name we pray, amen. 
We are on the final Sunday of what has been a brief series on leadership in the church. Leadership in the church, shepherding God's people. We, we, we started two Lord's Days ago, and today is the final installment. And, you know, I've, I've been thinking a lot about this over the last few weeks. I, I've been thinking about the reality that, you know, you, you come... You come and you have a lot of different things that you're trying to juggle in life. There's a lot of cares and needs that you have. And I think about it each week and I come to the conclusion, you know, there's no way that I can be sufficient to meet the needs of this congregation. I will try to remain faithful to feed the flock, but it will require the great ministry of the Holy Spirit to get into those places in our hearts and lives. And I, and I say that because preaching on leadership today, you know, you may go, oh, boy, I need something so much more. But let's trust, let's trust God. Let's trust the Spirit of God that he will provide what we need. Now, I mentioned last week, and, and I, I just, just want to stress this again. I, you know, I, I, I serve as a chaplain at Gordon Food Service in Shepherdsville. And I use that as an example to, to illustrate that, you know, when I, when I talk to new employees out there every month, I try to tell them, you know, what, the, what this benefit is. It's a, it's a great benefit where chaplains are going to come to the work site and they're going to get to know the employees and, and uh, be able to, to, to add an extra layer of care and, and nurturing for the employees. And uh, I, I mentioned last week, not always do they understand that benefit. You know, they, they kind of listen and they're like, eh, like, I don't know that I'll need that. But I thought this week about a case that, that, that come to mind. About eight years ago, I was out in the warehouse, this large warehouse, a lot of employees out there, and uh, go out in a, you know, some, some I, I know by name, I speak, a wave, a smile, that sort of thing. But there was one particular employee about eight years ago, he, he would not respond in any way. I would wave to him, he wouldn't wave back. I'd smile, he wouldn't smile back. He'd turn his head, he ignored me, act like he didn't want to have anything to do with me. And so over time, you know, I thought, well, you know, he's just, he's just not interested, you know. About two years went by, and suddenly one day I was leaving the warehouse, and I could hear feet, you know, hear these feet running. And the guy was saying, chaplain, chaplain, hey, chap. And I turned around, and it was him. And I thought, wow, you know, it's the first time he spoke, first time he's even acknowledged me. And he said, uh, hey, chap, uh, my mother is in the hospital in Oklahoma. It's a small town in Oklahoma. He says she has cancer, and it turned out it was a rather rare form of cancer. He said, I don't have any vacation time left. I want to go see her. I can't. Is there any way you can help me? And I knew there was. We have a large network of chaplains across the United States. So I made a phone call. I said, look, you know, can we get a chaplain anywhere close to this lady? And, and, and in God's providence, in God's kindness, there was a chaplain about 10 to 15 miles away. It was a female she went to the hospital, and it turned out in God's providence, she had gone through that same cancer herself. And it just, it just amazed me. And so we were able to connect her with this employee's mother. She went to the hospital a couple occasions and then went to the home and visited a couple of times and prayed with the employee's mother. This all happened in the span of a week. The following week, I went back, and as soon as I walked in the warehouse, we made eye contact, big smile on his face, come over and hug me, thank me. You know, it was then that he, he connected. It connected the benefit. He'd heard about it, you know, but it just never was real to him. And I use that story to say this. I, I, I mention this because 
The scriptures have much to say about the benefit of godly leadership in the church, but we don't always immediately perceive that. And I've really struggled with that over the last couple of Sundays, and I understand, you know, but here's what I've been praying and I've been hoping, that by calling attention to this subject, it might give us cause, at least this to start with, it might give us cause to greater praise of God for the benefit and the care and the welfare that he provides to his church in godly leadership. Now, we're going to pick up where we left off last week, and we were looking at qualifications for elders. Now, you remember elders, pastors, overseers. All those words are used interchangeably to speak of the same person, elder, pastor, overseer, the spiritual leader in the church. And so we were looking at qualifications. See, God provides provides godly leadership for his church, but not just everyone or not just anyone can serve in that position. So we've been looking at the qualifications. We began last week in this chapter, and we looked at verses 1 and 2, and today we're going to pick up at verse 3. And you'll notice as you look, it says, not a drunkard, not a drunkard. Another way that this is translated, not addicted to wine. Uh, And that word addicted is really important. Uh, in other words, this, this person who leads in the church must not be addicted or given to wine. Now, the first thing we want to recognize is this, and we just have to be honest about this, okay? We have much more to say about this kind of thing later in the summer. We're going to go through a series on hot topics, and we're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to touch on marijuana. And, you know, churches out in Colorado are really struggling with this. Other churches uh, in different states where marijuana has been legalized and they're having a lot of issues in the church about this matter. So we're going we're to talk about that because that may be where Kentucky's headed. It probably is. Going to be looking at some hot topics like that. And one of them is alcohol. But for today, here's what we want to say. Paul, we can tell here, Paul did not require one to be a total abstainer. Now, when I say that, you may look at me and go, I bet Brother Van drinks. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. I'm a total abstainer. I, I don't. There's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of reasons. But, um, but, but just want to point out that Paul here does not require one to be an abstainer. He just says, not a drunkard, not addicted to wine. Yet, let, let's, let's just call up some realities that we need to also face. It's, it's true that Paul doesn't require one to be an abstainer, but we need to also recognize that alcohol is a depressant. There's no, there's no doubt about that. Alcohol is a depressant. And so in light of the call in verse 2 for an elder to be sober-minded and under self-control, perhaps one should consider abstaining from alcohol. Because in verse 2, we are. We're called to exercise self-control and sober-mindedness. And so I would think, I think you would agree, that the alcohol poses a challenge to that. And so it might be wise to be an abstainer. And there's no denying, I think you would agree on this, there's no denying there's been much recklessness, violence, and immoral behavior due to excessive drinking. Not to mention, now, not to mention the damage to one's witness. And that, that, that would be one of the primary reasons, first reason I would abstain is because I, I certainly don't want to, to keep build, attempting to build bridges, to build bridges of witness and connection with people and destroy it over a drink, you see. And so 
the damage one does to their witness and the stumbling block one can become to a fellow church member who came from a life of alcoholism. And we have, we have dear brothers and sisters in our congregation that have come from a life of alcoholism. And so here's what we need to watch out for. We, we need to be watch out for, well, I have Christian freedom. I have freedom in Jesus to do what I want to. Well, okay, I, I would agree with freedom in Christ. But we also are warned in Scripture about not abusing that freedom, you see. For example, freedom in Christ, if you say, I, I have freedom in Christ, you need to beware that the thing that used to be a freedom to you may become bondage to you, see. Or you may say, well, that sounds legalistic, you know, to say abstain from drinking. And, 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 and Paul, Paul doesn't require uh, someone to total abstain. So well, why, why, are you, why are you suggesting this? Well, you say, well, it sounds legalistic. Well, beware lest your attempt to steer away from legalism causes you to leave the road of holiness. Okay? See, you need to be concerned about that road as well. I, I agree on legalism. I agree we need to avoid legalism. That's bad, okay? But certainly in our effort to steer away from legalism, let's not forget that we're called to live holy lives. So not a drunkard, not a drunkard. Next we see, we're going to lump these together where it says, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome. Uh, in Titus, Paul adds this in, in Titus chapter 1, verse 7. He must not be arrogant or quick tempered. A leader in the church, an elder, a pastor, an overseer, must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. They must not be violent. They must be gentle. They must not be quarrelsome. Uh, All of this has to do with one's temper and temperament. And notice, it could be an outgrowth of alcohol abuse. You see? Isn't that interesting that that, that those phrases follow not a drunkard? Because it stands to reason, again, that, that, that that one, one who gives themselves to too much alcohol certainly could lead to a temper that, that gets off course. Note, note, if you've got your Bible open, in that First Timothy, in that same letter, would you flip over to chapter 6? I want you to see something. In, in talking about not being violent but being gentle and not quarrelsome, notice how Paul directs this and who he directs it to in chapter 6 beginning at verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, now that's, that would be a false teaching. And if, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, And constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Notice, he, he, in speaking of this kind of behavior, it's, it's usually proceeds from false teachers, you see. When you think about not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, words like this, argumentative, pushy, gruff, hot-headed, explosive. All of these words come to mind as the kind of people that Paul is saying, they are disqualified. They're disqualified from leadership as an elder, a pastor, an overseer. What Paul is commending on the other hand though, is a peaceful attitude that rejects all forms of threatening and fighting. In other words, it's authority exercised with tenderness. 
And since gentleness, notice it said, but gentle. Since gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit, it should characterize all believers, but especially Christian leaders. Next, not a lover of money. Did, did you notice just a moment ago, and if you, if you went on to read the rest of this letter, you would find that one of the traits of a false teacher seems to be a concern for gain or a greediness. See, what they were doing was using ministry to fleece the sheep, seeking to get rich and live large. Those who think this way, those who have this kind of attitude, those who have this approach to ministry, Paul is saying they're disqualified. See, when the devil offered Jesus the kingdoms of this world, how did he respond? Did he say, hey, great, give them to me. Did he respond with greed, gain, selfish gain? No, not at all. In fact, Jesus responded as God's perfect shepherd. And when he did, he set the example for all elders in the church today. Not greedy of gain. Verses 4 and 5, look at those with me here. Uh, We'll read them both here. It says, we must manage. He must manage. Now look at that word that may bother you. We'll get to it in a moment. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Now, you know, in our culture today, I can just hear, I can just hear some people saying, manage. I'm not going to be managed. You can't manage me, you know. I can hear that. And, and I, believe me, I, I, I understand. Paul's not talking about, okay, Paul's not talking about, you know, that kind of manage, you know, you don't want to manage me. I mean, he's not, not talking about anything you need to be afraid of. In fact, if you look at that whole verse... The word manage is used twice, but there's one word that clarifies the kind of manage, care. Do you see it? Look at verse 5. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? You see, this has to do, listen, it has to do with governing, leading, and giving direction to the family. It's tender. It's care. It's loving. It's authority that's bolstered by a character of integrity and sensitive compassion. It's about guiding people to maturity. It's not driving people. It's not driving them. It's guiding people to spiritual maturity, but it's always tempered by showing mercy. Notice it says keeping his children submissive. Now, some could read that and go, you know, that, that sounds heavy-handed. And, uh, but no, 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 no. It does not, keeping one's children submissive does not demand excessive force or excessive sternness. You know, we, we, we all, you know, have different, you know, temperaments in a child, but it does not, when it says keeping his children submissive, don't picture in your mind some demanding excessive force. Rather, it's a character and manner of discipline that results in a natural respect. In other words, it's the kind of care that you would give children. Discipline, both positive and negative, see, that would result in a child respecting their parent. I said during the 9 a.m. service, I didn't really plan on saying this, but uh, my dad, my dad was, you know, he was, he was a very strong man. And um, he, he, he was the authority figure in the house. He was. 
I mean, it was, I, ra- I was raised in the time when it was like, you know, when your dad gets home, when your dad gets home. And uh, I had a lot of fear of him, but it was a good kind of fear. It was a kind of fear that I wouldn't run up and say, I don't care what you say, you know. I, I never thought of something stupid like that. I had a respect for him. I knew, I knew that he, see, I knew he loved me. I knew he loved me. And I look back on it now and I see the multiple ways that he loved me that I didn't really see then. He raised me in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord Jesus. He brought me to church. And even though I strayed from the path, it was he who did not quit praying for me and, 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 was, and, and got to see me and my wife both come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so my dad, my dad was, he was strong. He was authoritative. But there was a, there was a sensitive compassion and there was mercy that he showed. Uh, so elders must lead their family well, okay? But now when we go to verse 6, we look at something else. This leader must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Now, one of the things you need to realize right away, he must be a convert, <laughs> right? Not, we must not be less than that. He's got to be more than a recent convert, but he must not be less than a convert. Now, why don't we stress that? It's because, you know, through the years, I've heard so many different suggestions, you know, that sound like this. You need to get some businessmen in there now. You need to get some businessmen in there in leadership. Hey, look, I love businessmen. I got nothing against businessmen. I like businessmen. You need to get men in there and know how to handle money. Well, hey, I'm all for that. That's great. But look, uh, just for the record, Paul doesn't mention any of those qualities, does he? Not that there's anything wrong with them, but he didn't say, hey, you got to scour the congregation for good, smart businessmen. No, he didn't say that. Lead your family well, <laughs> you know. He, he, gave, he gave other qualifications, but, but here, here's my point. You can be great at business and not be converted. <laughs> you can be great at handling money and not be converted. One of the sure things in the church, a leader must be converted, they must love Jesus, and they must love Jesus' people. But they must not be a recent convert. And the language here is so interesting. It literally says, not a newly planted person. Paul, Paul uses the imagery of like a plant. A, a leader in the church must not be a newly planted person. They must be a person who have put down roots and have begun to grow in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is getting at. And so you might think about the parable where Jesus talked about the seed and it fall, fall on the hard ground, spring up, but it didn't have any root. When trouble came, hardships came, tribulation came, it withered, you see. But in this case, notice what it said. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit. And that literally means spiritual blindedness. When a person becomes proud, puffed up, can see, they can't see. They're spiritually blind. And then they become, what Paul says, vulnerable to the judgment of the devil. And what that most likely means is proud people will come blind to Satan's work and will fall into ruin. They'll get puffed up because they've been exalted into a leadership position And now they get puffed up, conceited. They haven't put any roots down. They're puffed up, conceited. And now they're spiritually blind. They cannot see what the devil is doing. And he can bring them to ruin and the church along with it. Finally, number seven. Let's look at verse seven. Moreover, 
He must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Outsiders. Now what a, you, you probably know what that means, right? But I just want to make a point here. Paul often in the scripture speaks of insiders, outsiders. Insiders, outsiders. What's he talking about? Insiders. Insiders are those who are in Christ and in a church. They're, they're members of a church. They, they have become glued to the body of Christ. They're in there. They're, 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 not, they're not just kind of sampling here, sampling here, sampling here. No, they're, they're, they're glued into a local body of believers. They're insiders, which would mean that outsiders, outsiders are those who are unbelievers outside the church. So what does Paul say here? Moreover, we must be well thought of by outsiders. That immediately tells me this. It should say this to me and to you. The world is watching, folks. The world is watching. Not just leaders, watching all believers, but here speaking about leaders. And leaders must live in such a manner where reasonable people will think well of them. Reasonable people. I know there's unreasonable people out there that we're never going to be able to connect with. But there are many reasonable people in the world who will look at your life and look at your profession of faith and they will say, you know, I may not, I may not believe like they do and I may not live like that, but I tell you what, I respect that person. See, our Christian witness, our Christian ministry goes beyond these walls. And notice the danger in verse 7. He must be thought well of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. What would that look like? What would that look like? Here's, here's, what, here's the first thing that comes to my mind. Is if a leader does not live in this manner, what will happen is the devil will use the mismanagement of their life to cause outsiders to close their ears to the gospel. That's what's at stake. How many, how many of you have known? You've known some who have lived and fallen and others who have looked at them and said, I don't want nothing to do. I don't want nothing to do with church. I don't want nothing to do with that Christian stuff. They, they've closed their ears off. And this person has fallen into, into disgrace and into a snare of the devil. Well, now what? Now, let me, let me turn to two questions that inevitably come up when we talk about church leadership. The first one would be this. What about deacons? Deacons are mentioned in the scripture, and if you were to continue to read in the same chapter, it gives qualification for deacons. Uh, so what is the difference between elders and deacons? Well, the, the main difference is one simple qualification, and that is elders are to be apt to teach. When you read the qualifications for an elder and you read the qualifications for deacons and you compare them, an elder is to be apt to teach. But that is not the only difference. And, and, and I, I guess I should say the, the difference that we might be asking is, well, what, what does one do versus what the other does? And so let me say it this way. Deacon ministry is a ministry of service and help. Where elder ministry, the primary focus is spiritual oversight, leading and feeding the flock. Both are important. Both are necessary. Uh, you'll notice in Acts chapter 6, this is where we get our, our biggest, uh, I guess the greatest information uh, about uh, uh, deacon ministry in Acts chapter 6. 
It says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve Notice that word, serve tables. That's the word that we get the, uh, it comes from a Greek word where we get the word deacon. Then we go on to the next part of the passage. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now what you notice in these passages, there's two needs. There's people who need help. There's widows who need to be served. But then there's also the prayer and the preaching of the word of God. Both of them are important, and you'll notice that both of these significant needs are met by two different groups of people. One group is going to serve and meet the needs of these widows and others, while others are going to devote themselves to the prayer and to the preaching of the Word of God. Now, important question, why doesn't Calvary Christian Center have deacons? And the answer is, we do and we don't. That sounds like a politician answer, doesn't it? Sounds slippery, doesn't it? We do but we don't. We don't in the formal sense. What I, what I mean by that, we do not have those in our church that we say, here's deacon so-and-so and here's deacon so-and-so. Let me introduce you to deacon so-and-so and deacon so-and-so. So in, in that sense, we do not in a formal sense is giving a title. But we do have deacons and deaconesses, men and women, who, who you would say serve in, in, in ministry of service and help to others. Not, not in a formal, not in a formal as having a title, but, but in an informal way, we have men and women. There are men and women who serve and help in this church, and their, their service, their ministry, their help is indispensable and valued. Now, let me say, there are some churches who say that, that deacon ministry is, is only for men, and uh, that would not be the position here. We believe that when it comes to deacon ministry, that men and women both are involved in the ministry of service and help. However, what about women in elder, or overseer, or pastor leadership? You'll see a paragraph on the overhead that I hope will, you'll find helpful here. God loves his church. He loves men and women. He loves to see all of us flourish in the use of our gifts. No man or woman should sit on the sidelines of Christian ministry. The question is not whether all men and women should be active in ministry. They should. The only question is how. How? As I mentioned, we have women who serve in our congregation and serve well. We have uh, women on women's ministry a variety of other means, serving in the nursery, teaching children. We have women who teach women. We have women who facilitate Bible studies. Uh, I say from a personal standpoint, I have been served well by the ministry of women. Let me, let me give you an example. Um, I brought just a handful here, just a few, in fact. I shouldn't say a handful, but a few. Uh, one of the best books that I've ever read, and I... Let's, let's say that if I took the top ten of, of books that I've read, and I read dozens and dozens of books a year, but one, one of the best books that I would have to put either one or two was written by Rosaria Champagne Butterfield entitled The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Uh, she was an English pe- professor who was a former lesbian who came to faith in Christ. This book helped me in 
so many ways. It is one of the best books that I've ever read. And it's written by a woman. Amy Simpson, uh, a book entitled, Blessed Are the Unsatisfied, Finding Spiritual Freedom in an Imperfect World. Excellent book. One of the top books. When I was preaching through 1 Peter, uh, one of the commentaries that I found most helpful in preaching through that book was 1 Peter by Karen Jobes. I had to put that among the top of the list of commentaries in 1 Peter. It's a book at home I'm reading right now by Nancy Piercy. Nancy Piercy, if you want to look her name up, she's written a number of books. She is one of, I would say, one of the premier female apologists, defenders of the Christian faith in the world right now. I'm reading a book that she just written, just published, uh, called Love Thy Body. I cannot hardly put that down. It is one of the best books I've ever read. These are books that were written by women that have blessed me and helped me. And I say all that because I need to say that the ministry of women is essential to the church's proper working and health. However, only men are given the responsibility to serve as pastors, elders, and overseers. Now, I know that when I say that, that is extremely controversial. And there are churches, denominations across America that are battling over this, wrestling over this, fighting over this. I, and, and maybe you're aware of that, but it's, it's certainly true. There is no reference anywhere in the New Testament to a female elder, pastor, or overseer. This verse, I think, and I want you to look at something to just help. If, you're, if you struggle with this, okay, I, I want to try to help here. And so... Notice what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 2. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Now, why would Paul say that? First, first, context matters. Context matters. In other words, we just want to grab this verse and go, there you go, take that, you know. No, it's not that at all. This, this verse, this command comes in a section in 1 Timothy that's teaching about the functioning of a local church. So the context is this. Paul said, I want to talk to you about how a local church is to function. Notice what he says next, right after this verse, swings into verse 13. Notice what it says here. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. Here, you need to ask this question. Why did he say that? Why did he say that just after he said, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet? Why would he say right after that, for it was Adam who was first created and then Eve? I believe the answer is this. It indicates that God wants his created design, his created design for male leadership and female submission in the family to extend into the functioning of the church. In other words, what God designed for the human family, his design of male leadership in the family, he extends into the functioning of the local church. That's how we need to see those verses. Now, I know that I know that that doesn't answer all the questions that would surround this issue, but I think, I think it's, it's only right and it's only fair that I be candid about this because that question may come up since we're talking about leadership in the church. One final thing and I'll close. Let me read to you from 2 Samuel 
something that I found very helpful and perhaps a good way to close this series on leadership in the church. 2 Samuel chapter 23, David, David was drawing near death. And in Psalm, or 2 Samuel 23, it actually says the last words of David. And here's what he said. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. What's, what's David talking about there? He's talking about godly leadership. See, there, there, there is a kind of leadership that crushes people. There is a kind of leadership in the church that manipulates people. There's a kind of leadership in the church that is abusive and toxic that, that, that people have been hurt by and wounded by. But that's not the kind of leadership that David is talking about. He's talking about something far more wonderful, far more beautiful, far sweeter. He's talking about a kind of leadership, a kind of rule that's like rain coming down on a parched ground. And then fruit begins to spring up. Rain comes down, the grass begins to grow. He's talking about the kind of leadership in a church, the kind of rule in a church that refreshes people, not abuses people. And I say all that to say there's no earthly leader that's perfect. But would you do this? Would you commit yourself anew to pray for the leadership of this church? Because I've been looking at this subject now for three Sundays, and I said at the beginning, it's about, it's primarily for our congregation, for its health today, its health into the future. And so, would you participate in this by praying for our elders and, and praying for additions to our leadership team in the future? Would you, would you really thoughtfully pray about that? Give some time during the week to pray about that. But, but also do this. Long for the coming of the perfect ruler. Long for the coming of the perfect ruler, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Because there are no perfect earthly leaders. There's no perfect earthly churches. Oh, may we strive, may we strive and pursue holiness. But may we pray with John and say, Lord Jesus, come quickly.